I'm Larissa, and I want to help you find the best strategy for communicating the magic and wonder of your jewelry brand so you can thrive by doing what you love and filling the world with beauty and creativity. Welcome to the Joy Joya Jewelry Marketing Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Larissa Worstiak. Through this podcast, I aim to empower and inspire jewelry entrepreneurs and innovators so they can thrive by doing what they love. I'm passionate about digital marketing for jewelry brands, and I'm excited to share my passion with you. This is episode 146, and today I'll be sharing my interview with Shane McCoy Hollander. Like my guest Jeff in the previous episode 145, I first met today's guest at this year's JCK Las Vegas show when I was on a panel about the topic, the fringe of marketing and branding with Shane, former Joy Joya podcast guest Jen Cullen-Williams, and Ben Smithy of The Smithy Group. It was a super fun panel and I really loved hearing Shane's insights about the topic. Shane is an experienced social media and digital marketing consultant and the founder of Straight Up Social, a boutique social media and digital marketing agency specializing in social media strategy, email marketing, website design, and SEO. She offers luxury brands in the jewelry industry a straightforward and structured approach to digitally reaching and engaging consumers. For nearly a decade, Shane has managed the global social media for large corporate and nonprofit brands such as the Gemological Institute of America, GIA of course. You can find her social media tips and tricks featured in trade publications like National Jeweler, In-Store Magazine, and JCK Online. In this episode, Shane and I discuss the state of social media marketing for the jewelry industry today. How can jewelry brands navigate all the rapid changes and still reach their target customers? How can influencer marketing and paid advertising integrate with a comprehensive social media strategy? We cover it all. I know it's a topic that frustrates many, and I hope that Shane and I can clarify a few things for you. But before we get to the interview, I want to share some marketing-related news and insights from the past week that caught my attention. Livestream shopping is becoming an absolute necessity for e-commerce brands today. One report from Coresight Research suggests that livestream shopping could reach $25 billion by 2023 in the U.S. According to a new article from Retail Dive, Macy's is the latest retailer to adopt it. Macy's is currently updating its mobile app with a new design and navigation, allowing shoppers to curate their personal style, browse Macy's selection, and create lists of their favorite products. They're also launching a weekly live streaming shopping experience called Macy's Live. So they're definitely taking steps to stay competitive and relevant in the future of marketplaces and e-commerce. Nordstrom also introduced its shoppable live stream platform earlier this year. Now, some of you listening are probably like, hmm, these are major corporations. How does this apply to me? I think live streaming is definitely the future of e-commerce in general, and I do believe that smaller brands can even leverage it on a smaller scale. So for example, doing Instagram live trunk shows or Facebook live trunk shows. So I definitely invite you to think about this and how you can make it applicable to you. Looking to these bigger companies as inspirations 
and then finding platforms and tailoring it for your specific situation. According to a recent article from Ad Age, lots of e-commerce retailers, especially those that sell jewelry, are becoming increasingly frustrated with social media advertising and seeking alternatives. We'll touch a little bit about social media advertising in the interview in this episode, but I thought that this article was really interesting. So Uncommon Goods, if you are not familiar with them, they are a competitor to Etsy. They sell really unique products, including jewelry. They're actually debuting their first national TV spot this week. So through its 22-year existence, Uncommon Goods has advertised on a plethora of channels, marketing through things like catalog mailers, social media, and search engines. However, Facebook's recent issues have driven the company to experiment with totally new channels. So according to them, they've seen a degradation in performance from Facebook and also changes in reporting metrics have caused them to kind of lose faith in advertising on the platform. Their spend on social media advertising has plummeted 80%. A year ago, Uncommon Goods spent about 30% of its marketing budget on Facebook, including Instagram, and now that budget is closer to 5%. They're definitely trying to come up with alternative ways of estimating Facebook's impact other than just relying on the reporting that they think is definitely flawed. So this week, Uncommon Goods will air a series of 13 and 15 second spots on both television and YouTube, highlighting the uniqueness and wide range of their products as quote, hand-picked gifts for different types of people. Again, probably if you're a small brand, you're thinking, I'm not gonna be advertising on television, but I like to highlight these things because I want to show you that big brands are trying to think outside of the box. They're just as frustrated with some of these marketing channels as you may be. So it's important to keep challenging the status quo and asking yourself, how can I maybe spend my marketing dollars more efficiently, do something different, maybe not follow what other jewelry brands are doing to stand out from the crowd. And finally, an article from MarTech is all about how marketers responded to the recent global outage of Facebook-owned sites like Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp. So some resourceful email marketers seized this opportunity and got super creative by launching quick campaigns that were kind of in response to this global outage. Within an hour after Facebook's platform got knocked out, the first emails began to fill up inboxes and you may have noticed some of them. So some really creative subject lines, like one from Mott and Bo, here's a distraction while Instagram, Facebook are down. Or this one from Lulu's, Instagram got you down. Some marketers likely scrapped original subject lines, maybe sent out the campaign that they were going to send, but tweaked it slightly to be relevant to the moment, which I think is really creative. Like Rifle Paper Company had a subject line, Instagram may be down, but our holiday arrivals are up. Other brands came up with entirely new campaigns on the fly and even created custom coupon codes to like 
celebrate this event. For example, Postable and the apparel retailer James May. Postable's subject line was, Facebook and Instagram relief is here. And a James May subject line was, Instagram is down, so we have a sale. I love it. What are the takeaways from this? So first, controlling access to your audience pays off. When things like Facebook and Instagram go down, it can really feel like a loss of control for a brand. So knowing that you have these channels like email marketing that you have more measured control over is really important. And knowing that you can turn to these channels in times like an outage. Another really important lesson to take away from this is to remember to be agile and nimble as a marketer. So in marketing things and in business, things don't always go as planned. Instead of like being disappointed or discouraged that a social media campaign you had planned can't be executed because of um, circumstances outside of your control, think quickly and execute an email campaign like some of the brands did in the examples that I shared. And then a final takeaway is email really deserves a lot more respect and allocated budgets from brand brands. This outage just reinforced the many reasons why email is the reigning digital marketing channel. If you want to get the links I shared in this segment of the podcast, you can sign up for my email newsletter by visiting joyjoya.com slash sign up, and you'll get a digest with the links whenever a new episode drops. Okay, let's jump right into my interview with Shane. Hi, Shane. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you as my guest today. It is a pleasure to be here, Larissa. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So tell our listeners a little bit about how you built your career in the field of social media marketing and also specifically how you found your niche in the jewelry industry. Yes. So I found social media uh, by accident. Um, It was... Basically, I started my career when social media was starting to become a position, you know, for, for a very long time. It was only reserved for friends and more of like a friend network. And then it started becoming a platform where businesses could advertise and um, promote their products and brand. Uh, So um, I was working for an endurance sports company called the Active Network. Um, I did, I worked on daily deal campaigns in the marketing department of the Active Network and our team got laid off about 17 of us. And I actually wanted to go work for a competitor of theirs. And at my going away party, um, I had already applied for a position, a merchandising position, which is not really what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do marketing. And the CMO was at this brewery. (laughs) And um, I I just went up to him and I said, hi, my name is Shane. Um, I just applied for a position at your your company. Um, And the company was rock. It was a company called Competitor Group, which uh, owned and operated the rock and roll marathon series, a big running event where they have music at every mile. And I said, I, you know, I applied for this merchandising position, but I really want to be on your marketing team. And I just like laid it all out there. And he said, well, that's really interesting that you approached me because we're actually creating a, a brand new position. We're like literally writing it from scratch and it's going to be the global, a global social media position. And I had, I knew nothing, I mean, obviously I knew a lot 
about social in terms of my own personal, um, I was one of the first to join when they released it to colleges and you know, universities uh, with a .edu email. Um, and so I jumped at the chance and the opportunity to take that role. And I basically built up the program at the Rock and Roll Marathon Series, marketing the races, um, the running events, marathons, half marathons. Um, I worked, we had about 30 international um, and domestic running events. And I worked on about half of those events um, and got to travel to some of them and, and do the social um, kind of at you know, a very local level, like trying to get runners excited about the running destinations they were going to and what they could expect at the race. And then, um, you know, I decided after about two years of working there that it was kind of time to move on. I wanted to learn more. And a former colleague and friend of mine was the director of branding at GIA, the Gemological Institute of America. And they were hiring for a global social media manager. And, um, at the time I was living in San Clemente and that office was a lot closer. And so I applied for the position based on my experience doing social. And that's how I, I landed in the jewelry industry. Um, so yeah. That sounds like a really fun journey. <laughs> it was, and it was, you know, it definitely, um, they had warned me like, you know, Jewelry is a totally different language. You know, it'll take some time to learn. And we have, you know, obviously GIA had a ton of like industry experts and gemologists on site. And so I got to learn and study basically under them for four and a half years, um, learning about gems and jewelry, and then going to some of the event trade shows like Tucson and JCK. And I think it was, the, the pivotal moment for me was when I went to those events and I saw the excitement and passion from everyone in the industry. I just fell in love with the industry and knew, you know, I'm going to stay in this industry. That's awesome. So what is unique about social media for the jewelry industry? Like, are there certain platforms that work well for it, certain types of content? Like, what do you find works for this industry that maybe doesn't work for like a rock and roll marathon or like some other industry? Well, I think for the jewelry industry, you know, it's tr traditionally a brick and mortar industry and, you know, a lot of multi-generational family, um, you know, has worked in this industry for such a long time. And with the younger generation of jewelers um, that, you know, run these family owned businesses or help with their, their family's businesses, they were born with social, you know, they had social media at their fingertips and digital and I think we're seeing this trend kind of going away from brick and mortar and, you know, being able to reach such a wider audience um, and also be able to showcase, like, rather than just showing your product in a display, you're, you're able to showcase your jewelry on a person, add the human, human element. And social media is such a visual platform, especially Instagram, that you can show all the different ways you can wear something, you can place it on someone that is more of your audience demographic. So it really drives that home of like who you're trying to target. And so I think it's a great, a uh, great way to reach new people. And you can, you can reach that niche. It just, there are some strategies obviously that we can dive into more on how to do that. But so as I understand it, you are not just, um, I guess, 
specialized in social media marketing, but you also do all types of digital marketing, like SEO, um, email marketing. Is that correct as well? Yes. So kind of to rewind a little bit, um, after working at GIA, um, I, you know, kind of dipped my toes in a lot of different things, mostly social media. Um, I help manage, uh, like content plans across um, the different platforms, um, but also help with some of the email marketing and, you know, providing, you know, feedback on some of the web elements uh, for GIA. And I just thought, you know, there was a need, um, which is why I decided to go off on my own and create my own boutique agency, um, because all of these things, you know, email, social, um, all those digital elements go hand in hand. They, Social media is kind of a supplement to all of those elements and, you know, cross promoting your products, your event announcements and all those things, um, company news um, that you can cross promote on all these platforms. And so I do offer social media, um, website design, and more so layout versus like backend um, and um, SEO helping uh, brands establish which organic keywords they should be using for users to find them organically. How do you see social media fitting into that comprehensive strategy? Is it like more important than some of these things, less important, equally as important, or is it different for all brands? I think it's different for all brands. I think, you know, it, you have to de- first determine where your, you know, your audience demographic and where your audience is most. And, you know, obviously for the younger audiences, like 25 or even 18 to 34, you're going to find a lot of those people on Instagram or, you know, and then skewing older a little bit on Facebook or maybe Pinterest. And, you know, they're, they're digesting these platforms every day. It's part of their, their daily routines. Um, and, you know, email is still such an important strategy, uh, especially for like abandoned carts and things like that. But um, really being able to reach them in the moment, I think, is why social media is such a great tool. So a big question that comes up from people I talk to in the jewelry industry is about influencer marketing, whether it works for jewelry brands, are there certain types of jewelry brands that should be using it and how can it work alongside a social media marketing strategy? I think influencer marketing is a really important part of your social media strategy. And you want to make sure that you're partnering with the right influencers uh, because there, you know, there can be an influencer with several hundred thousand followers, or that you can have an influencer, which we often refer to as micro influencers, who have more of like the fifty thousand follower range. And you know, obviously, you're going to be paying different price points, and you have to think about it as advertising, you know, dollars that you're putting aside for them to help promote your product. Um, but I think you know, doing your due diligence, researching and, and, you know, are they like, you know, a good voice in the industry? Um, what, you know, look at their follower count and then look at their, you know, engagements on their, their feed to see if they kind of match up with that follower count, because you'll see like one post will have like several thousand engagements and then the next post will have 20. So knowing like, are they paying for likes? Are they, are they legitimate, I think is a really important um, thing to consider. And then also 
you know, making sure you have like a, a contract agreement with them that they're going to be delivering what you want. And yeah. Do you think that influencer marketing can work for fine jewelry brands? That's always a question mark. Yes, I think it can work for fine jewelry brands in terms of driving brand awareness and reach um, and to the page. But I think in terms of driving sales, that's the big question mark. Um, you know, what I've heard and, you know, kind of researching that like average price points, um, anything that's kind of over that $800 threshold is really, it's a really hard, it's really hard to get a conversion from that. It's going to take extra legwork, extra follow-up. Um, but, um, I think working with those influencers and, and, you know, doing some kind of educational event with them, whether it be a webinar, um, where they can discuss, um, you know, you're partnering with them on a trend talk or something like that to just really drive engagement and talk about like, you know, we saw JCK yellow diamonds were such a big trend. And, you know, maybe you partner with an influencer that, you know, you, you talk, they talk about the trends of yellow diamonds, and then you're showcasing some of the, the yellow diamond jewelry that you have in stock. Um, so I think that that's a great way to do it rather than focusing on just sales. Yeah, that's a great idea. I like the idea of doing more educational content, but also being realistic about the fact that this is a brand awareness spend and that it will take those like extra follow-ups to actually convert that sale. And some brands I don't think are realistic enough about that and about what it takes to like nurture that customer across their journey. Right. I think when, when oftentimes when brands are approaching, I don't know if I'm skipping along, but, um, advertising, um, you know, you, my, my, my duty is to help identify for them, like what their KPIs or key performance indicators are. So, you know, they're with so much competition in the newsfeed, you have to be for the, what your spend is, is also dependent on your price points and, the higher the price points, the higher your spend. So, you know, to get that one conversion for something that's a hundred thousand dollars, it's going to be really challenging. You're going to have to spend to compete with the rest of these big spending advertisers. You're going to have to spend a lot of money and it probably won't be worth it, but focusing on um, optimizing to drive you know, link clicks to your website. Maybe you write a blog article or you, you drive the link clicks directly to a product page um, or, you know, anything really, any, any landing page, um, or maybe it's for reach um, or, you know, so to drive more traffic for brand awareness. I think those are the types of things that, especially smaller jewelry businesses with not a lot of marketing budget should focus on. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of frustration around social media in general today, especially when it comes to Instagram, because it's so rapidly changing. Do you see any specific challenges or frustrations like with the brands that you work with or consult with? What, what are they struggling with right now with social media? Well, I think it's, you know, we've seen this, um, you know, Instagram early on, like it was so much easier to get those engagements and you know, I think it's frustrating for brands to see those engagements falling off. And there's just, you know, it's, it's a lot harder to grow your channel organically. You have to spend 
a lot of advertising dollars or spend more consistently at least. Um, but I think, you know, just staying on top of all the changes, like when they roll out um, new mediums, like, you know, when they rolled out reels, like not being afraid, just being more nimble and taking advantage of all of the new tools, because normally when they roll out those new tools, they, the performance metrics on those seem to be a lot better right when they come out and then they kind of like level off. So I think, you know, I like to follow, um, I use um, some publishing tools for Instagram specifically to do the layout uh, like Planoly. And then there's also later, but those are also great um, channels to, or great uh, things to subscribe to, to follow all of the updates and to make sure that you're staying on top of all the trends going on. I totally agree. So I subscribed to later as well. And I got a camp email campaign from them yesterday about how IGTV and videos are like merging now and they're getting rid of that feature. And I don't know if I would have like immediately found out about that if I wasn't like subscribed to these updates. So some of this stuff kind of goes under the radar and is not super publicized to like regular users of social media. So I think it's important to try, like you said, stay up to date with all of these things because they're changing so quickly. Yeah. And also like, I think a good thing is to always make sure, well, to do the update on your phone, because it'll also update the apps or, or make sure all the apps are updated because when they do these new rollouts, you want to make sure you're taking advantage of, take advantage of those changes. Um, and like you said, oftentimes I won't even know there's a change until I see that email come through from, from me, I use Planoly, but um, they'll also have great tutorials on how to do reels, um, how to do like the, the, the caption overlays um, on different slides. And, um, you know, if you don't, if you, if you need further instruction, you can always look up YouTube and look at YouTube videos on those instructions. So yeah, those are great tips. So uh, one obvious recent frustration that we all experienced was that the Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp outage. I'm curious, since you work in social media marketing, how did it impact your clients or any other jewelry brands that you know? What what happened on October 4th? <laughs> well, um, yeah, I mean, it impacted some of my clients in terms of some of the, I was like, why isn't this post publishing? It was scheduled and I kept on trying to update and then realized I was getting this, this error message that the platform wouldn't load. Um, so, you know, there were some posts that were delayed from that. Um, I think what everyone realized is how reliant we all are on social media. And um, I did see, you know, after everything kind of went back online, so to speak, all these comments like, oh, how productive was your day since you didn't have social media? I'm like, well, mine wasn't that productive. <laughs> um, I was also traveling. And so not only did I have, I, I use WhatsApp for traveling internationally. I was international. So not only could I not access any of those platforms, the Wi-Fi was down. So it just seemed to be like the end of the world type of day. Like I couldn't, I'm like, okay, I guess this is a forced, forced relaxation day. Um, maybe I'll work on my taxes and, oh yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but, you know, I think the learning in this and, and like COVID, you know, we've learned, we have to just be really nimble in business and, and be able to, you know, like what if Facebook and Instagram went away, um, you know, 
there's still the other platforms we can utilize. There's email marketing. Um, there's, there's different, you know, you can host zoom webinars, zoom wasn't down. So, you know, I mean, there's, we just have to be nimble and flexible, um, in kind of rolling with the punches, so to speak, and not relying, knowing that we can't rely forever on certain things. Absolutely. So you had mentioned at the beginning of the interview that when you started your career in social media marketing, it was still kind of new as a marketing tool. Like prior to that, it was more connecting with friends, communicating. And then suddenly it shifted to like a mode of businesses reaching out to customers. I'm guessing that was like, what, 2008-ish, 2007-ish? Yeah. Well, when I started my role, I think it was, well, when it, when Facebook first rolled out, I think I joined in 2004, but it wasn't until I think 2013 that I started working for the insurance company doing social media. Um, so, but it, it was still rather new. Um, and you know, there wasn't anyone to teach me the ropes. I kind of had to like learn by trial and error. Yep. I think that was the best way of just being thrown in and uh, we also worked with a digital marketing agency at the time and they were really great. And I learned a lot from them as well. Um, so I think, you know, by going to the different social media uh, day events and when everyone was learning together, uh, we would all like share our feedback and what was working, what wasn't working. And that's how it evolved. How have you seen social media change since then? I mean, it doesn't feel like what 2013 till now, that's not like a ton of time, but in technology world, that's like centuries long, basically. How have you seen the space change and evolve over that time? Well, I definitely think the platform has become, you know, more dependent on advertising and that's what, you know, originally it wasn't that way and it was really great organically. Um, you know, so there is that competitiveness with, you know, knowing that you do have to, from time to time, you should probably put some advertising dollars behind posts, um, you know, and, and you can do like a $5 a day budget. It's something, but I think, you know, it's really relying on advertising. Um, and, and with that, you have so many ads being thrown at you, whereas before you had less. So there's a lot of you know, a lot of competition. And so I think the important thing is to stay, you know, oftentimes we'll see something we like from a different brand and be like, oh, I should do that. But all this, you know, we'll copycat off of each other. And I think it's really important to, to kind of take a step back and say, wait, how can I really be authentic and stand out and do my, and try to do your own thing and be different and not copycat. Um, but, or maybe, maybe use those ideas that are really great that you see out there and try to make it your own in some way. Um, I think, you know, just staying again, staying nimble, staying authentic are the best ways to kind of continue to grow with the platforms. Definitely. So speaking a little more about social media advertising, because I know even that space in the past year has changed a lot with like new data privacy updates. Now it's more difficult to like retarget certain groups of customers because of privacy laws, which are awesome for the consumer, but make it harder for marketers. Also, 
I feel like every direct-to-consumer e-commerce brand, jewelry and otherwise, is experimenting with social media ads. So it's just so competitive and saturated. Do you find with the ads that you manage or brands uh, anecdotally that these kinds of ads are still effective? Are there certain use cases where it's maybe more effective than others? I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I work with a lot of smaller um, jewelry designers and um, mid-sized businesses, and I would say, like, it, it is really. I haven't seen a lot of success in running the paid ads for purchases, um, but what I have seen is when you know, I'm, for instance, I'm working with one client on their social, and I also help with their SEO and in writing blog articles um, that are that have those keywords peppered in or, or that primary keyword peppered in with some semantically related keywords and um, using, you know, chunks of that blog content for the social posts and then driving, which, and there's product links all in this blog and then driving traffic from those social posts to back to that, the blog and individual pages. Um, and so I, I think what I've seen is using, um, and then also they'll send out an email with the blog list the blog post uh, to all of their followers. So I think with all of those efforts and then boosting a post um, and optimizing it for the uh, link clicks to that particular post works really well. Um, I think also we've done some tests like on Pinterest, particularly targeting since it's a more uh, female centric platform, targeting, you know, looking at what those top um, pin, like top uh, outbound clicks are on the pins and then boosting the best performing um, uh, pins on that channel. And I think that's, you, you know, you, you've seen an increase in the traffic to the website. And I think, you know, over time, that is going to be a better strategy in the long run rather than just throwing dollars away and, and hoping for one purchase after spending like several hundred dollars. Um, I think that's the way to go. Absolutely. You mentioned that you haven't seen a ton of success for conversion. I find that advertising is a hard sell to the small business owner who you tell them, oh, this probably won't be good for conversions, but like we'll get more traffic to your site. In your own words, can you explain the benefit of advertising for that purpose, even though you might not see a sale directly from it? Yeah. So, you know, the more eyeballs you have on your website where people, you know, it, especially if you're linking someone over to educational content. So for instance, um, I did an article recently on Rolex Oyster Perpetual Watches and um, describing the, the difference between, um, you know, describing the different cases available um, and, you know, dials and things like that. So, um, you know, from there, people can then, once they land on your page, then hopefully your their goal, the goal is to try to drive them to other pages on your site. And maybe they'll stick around, they'll find the content informative and maybe it's, maybe they say, oh, I didn't know that, or I didn't know that about Oyster Perpetual watches. Um, and, you know, you learn the history behind them, why they were created. Um, like the, the Cartier Santos watch, for instance, was created after um, in a guy who was um, 
a, a pilot, um, you know, and, and worked with Cartier. So, um, he, he did all these like experimental flights. And so that's why the watch was named after him. So he could, he didn't have to take his eyes off the, you know, his, I don't know what you call it on a plane, but, you know, it's just learning interesting facts about products too, and why they came to be. And I think that's a great way to sell people on your products. Yeah. Those are really good examples. So I'm always looking for social inspiration. My clients are always looking for social inspiration. What are your favorite examples of jewelry brands that are quote unquote, killing it on social media today? Um, I really like Shea Jewelry. They do a great job with like the stackables and the neck messes. And um, they, I love the way that they combine their jewelry. Um, they don't just post necessarily one piece. They're layering and then tag, making sure they're tagging their products. Um, I also like Deborah Navarro Jewelry. Um, I like I like how she adds you know a lot of human element into her posts, especially um, you know a lot of her you know, she traveled to Africa and named a lot of the, her pieces after people she met in the mining community, the, the, um, the mining communities, um, which she gives back to. So, um, I think that's a really great, um, way to, you know, promote your products and obviously if you can give back in any way. Um, and then I also really like Ashley Zhang jewelry. Um, she does like antique and estate pieces and I love, um, how she's curated her page and, um, all the things she posts. So amazing. Were there any others or is that, that your list? I mean, I, I could go on and on. I love Cartier. I love, um, um, jeweler circle is a great, um, Instagram platform. They're, um, an online trading platform that evolved, um, during COVID. So for people who couldn't go to in-person trade shows, um, they're an industry only platform where you can buy, sell and trade, uh, virtually, which is a really cool thing. And they also have great, um, antique and estate pieces, um, and contemporary, um, but they do a great job with, um, what, you know, having educational webinars and, um, explaining the history and trends behind pieces and, Amazing. Well, this has been so informative. I know my listeners are always looking for tips and information about social media, so I know that they will appreciate it. So thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Tell me, is there anything else you'd like to share? How can people contact you? What's going on in your business life? Ah, oh, sure. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm taking clients. So anyone who needs social media help or direction or help with their website, um, you can visit my website at straightupsocial.com or email me at Shane, it's Shane with a Y, S-H-A-Y-N-E at straightupsocial.com. Amazing. Thank you so much, Shane. It was awesome to have you today. Thank you so much, Larissa. It was such a pleasure to be able to talk to Shane and get her perspective on social media marketing for the jewelry industry today. To learn more about Shane and her business, Straight Up Social, please visit straightupsocial.com or follow on Instagram at straightupsocial. I look forward to sharing more interviews with you. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. For more information about marketing services for your jewelry brand, visit joyjoya.com where you can download our free ebook, Proven Conversion Strategies for E-commerce jewelry retailers.